Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can also interact with us on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. And Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. So we'll continue to recap rookie minicamp. We'll get to your phone calls. But I want to start, Paul, with an interesting deadline that I don't think many people are aware of. Tonight, 11.59 p.m. Eastern, is a deadline which signals the end of free agent signings counting towards impacting compensatory draft picks. Correct. So that means you sign a guy tomorrow, once the clock strikes midnight, you're not taking as much of a risk with saying whether that player pans out or not is going to now impact you from a draft pick perspective. Correct. And that's why I think a lot of fans need to understand there's a number of attractive names that I still think are out there on the market. Now, I'm not saying that the Giants are going to pursue them, but I think part of the reason why a number of these players have not signed yet is because of this deadline that's not very popular in the minds of a lot of people who consume the league. And also, which we've seen more often than not with the Giants, there are a lot of teams that say, hey, why not get a closer look, Paul, at our rookies, our undrafted free agents during OTAs, and then if we don't think that we're getting enough out of them, we could always sign a proven free agent before training camp, and then they can compete with everybody else. Well, let's take a look at some of the larger names, if I might add, sure. uh, on the free agent list, and Dominican Sue. Yep. Uh, Ziggy Ansa, Former Lion. Uh, Jordy Nelson. Morris Claiborne. Michael Crabtree. Uh, all guys who are accomplished players in this league who no doubt still want to play and are still looking for some kind of deal but uh, either are not getting the money offers that they want or they've simply been told we're going to put you on hold and not really do any talks with you until the compensation period ends which as you said will be tonight. Glover Quinn is another name I throw out Paul a veteran safety who's still out on the market. Pierre Garçon running back Jay Ajayi from the Eagles, you know, coming off mm-hmm. uh, injury that sidelined him last season. Shane Ray is a name that we've talked about on this program for quite some time. Didn't pan out in Denver, but I think it's a low-risk, high-reward type of signing. Morris Claiborne, former Cowboys corner, Jets corner. He's another guy. Linebacker Jamie Collins, also a former Patriot, former Brown. How about Muhammad Wilkerson, the former Jet? Oh, there's another one, yeah. So there's quality players out there that yeah. if you're not content with how you made out in the draft, you could still very much add in some more competition. It is going to be, to me, an active group of players that I think are going to tack on with teams before training camp, especially if an injury happens in OTAs, which unfortunately we always see the non-contact type of an injury. It would not surprise me if a team walks away with, and I'm not just talking about a guy that's going to get on the back end of the 53-man roster. Somebody may wind up with a starter, Paul. I mean, these guys are proven commodities. It's not as if we threw out a bunch of names here that haven't been there and haven't done that. Well, I mean, you look at the percentage snaps played. Uh, Jermaine Curse from the Jets played 63% of the snaps last year. Wide receiver. I mean, he was a regular. And he's sitting out there right now looking for a deal. Uh, so, yeah, there are a bunch of those kinds of guys. I mean, it, it just seems to me, though, that in this particular instance, because of the cap issues, and a lot of these guys obviously are going to want a little more money than people are willing to pay, you're going to have a bunch of teams that are going to wait even longer. I don't. In other words, what I'm saying is I don't think there's going to be a rush in the next 24 hours to sign any of these I guys. Agree with you. There may be a couple of drips that do get picked up, but in my opinion, most teams are going to wait at least until the veteran minicamp the OTAs and the veteran minicamps, to see a little bit more about some of the young, inexpensive players that they've been able to add to their roster, either through free agency or through the draft, before they necessarily call one of these veterans who's probably going to want a few more George Washingtons. (laughs) Well, and to your point, Paul, I'm with you. I'd rather, if I'm a coach, I would rather give the reps to the unproven players because this is now the time to evaluate them. You bring in Ziggy Anza. Ziggy Anza has had some injury issues, so clearly you want to make sure that he checks off the health factor. 
But I don't really think you're dying to see what Ziggy Ansah can do. Considering you have plenty of film, you can easily bring him into your point in veteran minicamp or wait till training camp and still get a good look at him to determine what he could do for your team. Bringing him in during a few OTAs, I don't think is necessarily going to put you in a much better position come the start of the season. Yeah, to me, about the only thing that a team will do in that instance is perhaps talk to the agent and say, look, this is where we stand. Yeah. We would like to talk to you at some point, but we're not really ready now. So if you're looking to sign with somebody now, you can leave us out of that conversation. But but if things drag on for the next two months... Check back in with us. Check back in with us. If he's still out there, check back in with us, and maybe we, we would like to talk. But I, I don't think there's going to be a sense of urgency for these guys to come flying off the board in the next 24 hours. And sometimes players also don't want to immediately sign. Remember, it takes two to tango. And yes. we talk about this with fans all the time with free agents. Just because a team is interested in a guy doesn't mean that now the player is going to jump aboard quickly. Sometimes the player may want to wait, Paul. First of all, if the player's waited this long, what's the difference if you wait another few weeks? And like I said, the unfortunate part of this business is there are going to be injuries. The non-contact injuries that happen during OTAs, your stock may go up if you wait and see. There may be a team that's in desperation mode and they're willing, to your point, to throw a few more bucks your way. The only advantage to a player right now in terms of signing at this particular moment instead of waiting a couple of months is, A, he gets certainty in terms of where he's going to be. He can kind of establish a relationship with those people during Settle the offseason. And yeah, and, and become more acclimated. So he's not trying to rush and cram the playbook in during the preseason. You know, it gives him a little more comfort. That That's one advantage. Actually, there's a second advantage, and that is... You know what? If there is a decent amount of money being offered to you by a team, maybe you take it because as things go further and further and further down the road, maybe X, Y, and Z teams that are talking to you about a decent contract will spend it elsewhere and now won't have the money to necessarily spend it on you. So better to take advantage of the scenario now. That's as opposed the to other There's scenario that you have to, to kind of contemplate if you're a player or an agent, in terms of how late do you want to wait? So once again, tonight, 11.59 p.m. Eastern, the deadline. Once you pass that mark, you don't have to worry about free agent signings counting against compensatory picks. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. We'll get to your phone calls here in a second. I know you and John focused on rookie minicamp yesterday. The one thing, though, that I wanted to just throw out here, Paul, and from talking to you before the show, I think we're in agreement here. There's only so much you can read into rookie minicamp, number one. I understand that everybody's yearning for information. Mm -hmm. They are non-padded, non-contact practices. So you're not necessarily getting a gist of how all of these players, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, can shed tackles, get to the quarterback, tackle a running back, tackle a wide receiver in open space. To me, the biggest takeaway is how some of these individuals interact with the media, how comfortable they are in the setting picking up, perhaps running routes. Those are the types of things that I think are the biggest takeaways. And from what I saw, I thought Daniel Jones handled himself perfectly fine. You know, he was peppered with a lot of different questions, Paul. I don't like comparing young quarterbacks immediately, but I can understand why people automatically assign him to the Eli Manning school of thought because he basically handled him <laughs> just like he handled the media, just like Eli does. You know, he doesn't give you too much. He doesn't necessarily open the door for follow-up questions. He's cut, dry, and to the point. So I get the comparisons, at least from that standpoint. Another guy that actually impressed me an awful lot, Paul, was Julian Love and how he interacted with the media. He seems to be in his backyard already, and he's barely been here with the organization. And I think part of that is two things. One, he came from a big program in Notre Dame, so I don't think this stage is overwhelming to him. Mm -hmm. And he's also from Chicago. So, mm -hmm. as somebody who's been to Chicago multiple times, love Chicago because, to me, it resembles New York. It's like you're in New York when you walk around some of those streets. I don't think, once again, the adjustment is going to be overwhelming to him as opposed to somebody that comes from a smaller town, has been raised in a smaller town. You know, maybe the New York, New Jersey area is a little bit too big initially. So, I was very impressed with how Julian Love handled himself, and I'm also impressed with his versatility and how much they're moving him around, at least in the initial stages of rookie minicamp. I went a little bit further yesterday by saying all of the draft picks who I've had a chance to interact with, I thought handled themselves with poise and media savvy. 
uh, and showed a terrific attitude and interactive skills and uh, the kind of demeanor that you would think is highly coachable. I mean, yeah. you, can't, you can't say enough about the X-Man or about Lawrence or even, uh, you know, DeAndre Baker, who I know there have been some web hearsay things that said maybe he wasn't the, the most uh, cooperative or the, the best of the attitude guys in the draft. I, web hearsay, you know, uh, personal experience so far has been that this guy's exactly what you want in your locker room, a corner who brings a little chip on his shoulder because he's got a little fire in his belly and is willing to challenge people. Well, you know, Jack Rabbit does the same thing. Okay, let's let's make something very clear. That's not just this rookie coming in, you know, playing a little bit big for himself. No, Jack Rabbit feels the same way. He wants people to throw at him. That's what some of the yeah. really good corners and you do should. when they get on the field. They want to be challenged. They want to be able to make a play. So, you know, I, I don't sense that as a negative at all. And I know some people may feel that way, but, but I don't. Well, listen, everybody's different in terms of their approach to the game. We don't live in a world, or we shouldn't live in a world, where we assume everybody's robotic, Paul, and you just put them in a machine, and then they come out and they have the same philosophy and the same emotions. One corner is going to approach the game very differently than the other. Case in point, this is why I loved what Julian Love said. Julian Love was talking about how he and Baker have known each other because they've been finalists for awards. They've seen yes. each other at functions, right? Yes. And one of the things Paul Love pointed out was he is completely different in his philosophy versus Baker. The way you describe Baker, Baker, he wants guys to throw at him. He'll talk a little trash. He's there. Correct. He's got fire. Whereas Love is, I don't want to say laid back because that doesn't do justice, but Love is different. He uses in a different approach as his motivational tool. He's more he's, buttoned down. Correct. He's not the type of guy that's going to get in your face, up in your grill, no. and talk, and this and that. That doesn't mean he can't be effective, though, just because he doesn't adopt not. what DeAndre Baker does. But one of the things that I found interesting was Love says, sometimes I need a guy who's the complete opposite of me because that helps fuel me. And yeah. he said from rooming with Baker, it's almost like the yin and the yang. They complement each other very nicely. And I think that is going to be one of those friendly teammate rivalries that yeah. makes both guys better. I am so anxious to see these guys on the field at the same time. I really am. Well, I'm with you. And I'm interested to see when Ballantyne gets here. The mm -hmm. reason being, Paul, outside of Janoris Jenkins, and I brought this up multiple times, this is an extremely young cornerback sure group. You know, Jenkins, Grant Haley, and Tony Lippett are the only three corners currently on this year's roster that had a snap. At least one defensive snap last year. Everybody else is fresh blood. So there's a lot of proving to go around right now with respect to this team. Yeah. That's well, the big thing. And and that's what happens when you rebuild your secondary. You know, you've got to get some reps for turnover. these guys to find out exactly what it is that they can do and how much you can trust them during their rookie seasons. Uh, the Giants, obviously, with Sam Beal coming in also, he, in effect is a redshirt freshman or redshirt rookie, if you will, because he was IR'd all last year. Yeah. So he's not a whole lot further along than those kids. No, I mean, other than having some familiarity with the system, but it's not as if he had game situations to throw out there compared right. to the other group. So in effect, they've got four rookie corners. 100%. I've always looked at it that way. Anything I've even tweeted out, I've said, for anybody who says this is a group of three, no, it's a group of four. Until Beal plays in a game, he doesn't separate himself from the rest of the pack. Yeah. So I'm in agreement with you. Now, speaking of injuries, and we'll get to your phone calls, some disturbing sad news here from Adam Schefter of ESPN. He claims that former Giants defensive end Jason Pierre-Paul, who's now with the Bucks, suffered a potential season-ending fractured neck injury in a single car accident last week in South Florida. This is what league sources tell us ESPN. Pierre Paul will visit next specialist this week to get their opinions to see if there is hope to save this season. So some extremely sad news for a former Giant. I heard he the reports. Been so correct. Much. And I had heard the reports last week when they came out. Tampa Bay even issued a statement, Paul, and they said they were looking into it. But now Adam Schefter providing some additional news that potentially JPP could be missing the season. And you're right. He's been through an awful lot here with the Giants, back issues, obviously the hand injury, and he's overcome all of those things to his credit. And to now have another setback, uh, very sad and unfortunate news right here we wish for him well. JPP. We wish him 
100% well in terms of his recovery. It's going to be another tough road if this truce, if this uh, obviously turns out to be accurate. And, you know, this is what I'm talking about, unfortunately. Now, I know this is not an injury related to what happened on the football field, but you never know when injuries are going to strike Paul. And this is why teams always look to have depth across the board. You can never have enough good players, right? 100%. You can never. That's and, the saying. This is why Tampa Bay brought in some defensive linemen through the draft, through free agency, because you just you never know whether there be off-the-field things, on-the-field things, and mm-hmm. uh, very unfortunate that JPP has to deal with another injury that could very well cost this season. So we wish the best, obviously, to the former Giant, Jason Pierre-Paul, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, saying he may have suffered a season-ending neck injury that is not going to allow him to take part in an NFL campaign in 2019. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. All right, let's open up the phone lines. We check in with Jack in Queens. He gets us started here on BBKL. Jack, what's happening? What do you got for us? Hey, how you doing? Hi. Doing very well. I wanted to uh, talk about Jones's adjusted completion percentage, which, like, takes out drops and uh, throwaways and stuff. Okay. And in college, his senior year, he was... 74% adjusted completion percentage, which would put him, if he carried that over exactly, it would put him in the bottom 10 in the league to begin with. And then, you know, if you look past, like guys like Mayfield went from like 80 to 74. Darnold went from like 78 to like 69 in his rookie year. Like his completion percentage is going to be pretty low. And there are guys who succeed down there, but they're guys like, Roethlisberger and Jackson, like guys, like bomb throwers or athletes, like running back, like running players. Like, I'm just curious about what, how you can see success for somebody who's coming in at that level already. Well, first of all, it's a subjective stat. Second of all, you don't know how many times receivers ran the wrong routes. And if the guy ran the wrong route and it's a timing route, well, guess what? The ball's not going to count on the on the adjusted completion percentage because if he threw it as an out and the guy ran in, it's just going to go down as a regular incomplete. And I think we would both agree Duke's receiving core was not very accomplished this past season, nor was it even the year or two before. So the number in itself is not only very subjective, it is very deceiving. Having having you say is a good way to judge accuracy. They're, 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 the tape. Watch like. the tape. The only way to do it is do what Gabe Dettelman, do what Dave Gettleman did. Sit there and watch hours and hours and hours and hours worth of tape and figure out what the guy really has to offer. Do it until your eyes bleed. That's what Dave Gettleman's paid to do. That's what he did. And that's what he made the decision on. And, and you know, look, I watched a lot of tape on Daniel Jones myself, but not nearly as much as Dave Gettleman did. And what I saw, he was my favorite quarterback in this draft. I did not like Murray. I did not like Haskins for a variety of reasons. And it wasn't just on the field performance. It had to do with a lot of other intangibles. Daniel Jones was my number one quarterback on my board. However, I also thought he was a second-round pick. So I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that I saw everything that Dave saw because he obviously felt he was worth the number six pick in the draft. So he must have seen even more than I did. But in terms of what Daniel Jones brings to the table, the complete package, which, of course, he has to as a quarterback in the NFL, it's not just all about the throws. It is about the cerebral stuff and the mentality and the leadership and the demeanor and the emotion and the control and the poise and all that stuff, the decision-making. You know, he has all that other stuff. So to, to isolate an adjusted completion percentage stat and equate that to how well he's going to do in the NFL is really foolish. And Eli Manning, Jack, I'm bringing up his college numbers. Eli yeah. Manning at Ole Miss had a career completion percentage of below 61%. So right, but that's completion. That that that's drops. That's over. That they don't take. Like this is no. I you're you're taking out, the right? adjusted. So would be much higher. Like adjusted is way higher than. See, and the, and, and the other the right. other thing you all you all I'm just going to give you another variable here because maybe you don't understand it, but. If if a guy's getting pressured, right, and he and he and you know he gets hurried and winds up throwing the ball awry because there was somebody in his face, well, you know that that also I I don't know how some of these subjective folks who grade these things how are they taking some of these things into account? 
but but okay, clearly, you know, clearly wrong mode. routes, like, wrong routes are going to cause like, a tremendous percentage of error. You understand that, right? I'm sorry, I didn't. You I didn't you under you that. understand where wrong routes are going to add to percentage of error right, in that absolutely. stat, yeah. especially sure, hot so reads. Like, do you see him as a, you know, as a Drew Brees, Alex Smith, like extremely accurate passer? I mean, he doesn't really have a. Let's say this. Ball. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Super athlete. Like, what is the path to success? What would you see him be? He, he is a terrific athlete. He, he is a terrific athlete, actually. And here's what I will tell you. Drew Brees enhanced his completion percentage by miles once he left Purdue and got to the NFL. He is probably the biggest name quarterback superstar in the league who had the most significant jump in his completion yeah. percentage and his accuracy from his college career to his pro career. He's the guy who proves that you can improve that completion percentage by a market amount. Yeah, Breeze was just 61% in college at Purdue. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's in the 70s now, he now? in the he NFL. In yeah, yeah, I mean, Drew Brees is one of the best completion percentage quarterbacks in NFL history. Yeah. I mean, he, no, he shattered know, yeah. a single-season record. So, you know, Jack, the whole point is a lot of it is coaching. A lot of it is what the system asks you to do. I mean, I wouldn't get overly concerned because you're not seeing 80% completion percentage out of Daniel Jones. You know, time is going to tell in, in terms of once he gets on the field, the personnel around him, the coaching, all of those things play a role. I mean, Drew Brees has benefited, let's not forget, from some of the talent he played with. In San Diego, some of the talent he played with in New Orleans, but he certainly doesn't have a lot of proven commodities in his receiving core right now outside of Michael Thomas, and he's still doing a heck of a job completing the football. One other danger in just hanging your hat on this stat, this stat doesn't break down for you. How many of those were second and third and long situations too, where you know the defense actually has the advantage on the play? You follow well, what I'm well, saying? Well, the that line, too. The, the, the stats are foolish stat. Well, it just, I, it's ridiculous to put much stock in it. I will say this about Jack's point. I don't necessarily walk away from watching Daniel Jones and say there's no room for improvement. It'll be the first one to admit. Oh, of course. The completion percentage, the deep ball, all of these things that he has to work on. The Giants coaching staff would tell you the same thing. But the point is, Jack, to look at his college career and get overly concerned that this is going to be a road that's going to be extremely dangerous. I just don't understand how you can run with some of those takeaways when he has yet to step on an NFL field at this point. Jack, my best advice to you is to just push aside the analytics, okay? That's my best advice to you because people who, who, who believe that the analytics are the main course of the meal, they're making a serious mistake. Well, who do you see him becoming? Like, what do you see him becoming? Is, like, is he going to be a extremely high? How is he getting into the top ten in the NFL? Is it, is he going to, like you say, he's a great athlete, which I agree. Is he going to be Cam Newton? Is he going to be an incredible if, completion percentage Yeah, if guy? he turns out. Is he going to be a risk taker like Eli if, was? If he turns out to be a top 10 pro quarterback, which is what the Giants certainly believe, otherwise they wouldn't have taken him where they did, it is going to be through his mind. It's going to be through his poise, his leadership, his decision-making. Absolutely, he's going to have to use some of his tools to get the job done. But it's going to be his gamesmanship, his leadership, and his ability to control a game. That is what's really going to separate him. We, we always talk all the time about some of the smartest quarterbacks that we've seen in the league. Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. We talk about these guys being above and beyond, so smart from the, from the neck up. They, they just separate themselves from the other guys. And that's part of what makes them superstars. That's what Daniel Jones is going to rely on as he tries to become an upper echelon quarterback. Yeah, the adjustments at but the line of scrimmage, all, all those things. incredibly accurate uh, passers. I mean, like, even Brady now is, like, top three in his 40s. Like, I mean, he's an incredibly accurate passer. So is Manning's, and had an awesome deep ball. Like yeah, but but Jack, like all of those had, guys like, that you named. Accuracy. Yeah, but all of those guys that you named, Jack, didn't come in year one in the NFL and immediately get to that level. It took some time. Sure. And Alex Smith, who you've thrown out multiple times. I mean, I don't know how right. you look at Alex Smith, but Alex I Smith. I think Alex Smith is a solid quarterback. A professional quarterback, right? Alex Smith. First of all, if you track his career, Jack. Look at what happened in his early years in San Francisco. He struggled immensely. Why? Because he had a 
different offensive coordinator every single season in San Francisco, and the team just wasn't very good, the personnel. But when all of a sudden he had the same OC for multiple years, notice how his production increased. And the same thing can be said when he was in Kansas City. So stability around the quarterback, to my point, is also a big indication of where that quarterback's going to go. And with Duke, Daniel Jones hasn't had a great deal of stability in the personnel department. In the coaching department, yes, but not necessarily in the personnel department. Jack, I'll ask you this. What was the number one yeah. reason Phil Simms was an outstanding Giants legend, a quarterback, too and a young. Super Bowl MVP? What was the number one reason? I'm too young. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I okay. I, I, I would tell you what it was. <laughs> it was It was because he was, quote, a football player. As Bill Parcells liked to say, mm-hmm. he wasn't a quarterback. He was a football player. Mm-hmm. And when Parcells said that, what he meant was the guy had the instincts, he had the smarts, he had the toughness, and he had the heart and the desire, and the competitive nature, all of those things meant to Parcells he was a football player. Phil Sims will be the right. first one to tell you, if he sat here, he was not the most physically gifted quarterback in the league during his time. But you know what? Went to a bunch of Pro Bowls, and he won a Super Bowl MVP by putting up the best Super Bowl performance that a quarterback has ever had. I mean, that was his ticket. He was a football player. I, I think I think you have to understand there's a lot of intangibles that go into making these guys really, really elite. And Jack, appreciate the phone Thank call. You. Thanks so much for weighing in. Alex Smith, first year in the league, 51% completion percentage. Second year, jumped to 58. Third year, went down to 49. 2009, his fourth year in the league, it went to 61. Then it went to 60. 2011, now is the turning point where things started to click for him. Well, a lot of it's scheme, too. Well, of Let's course. not kid ourselves. No, but, but, but if you look, Paul, he had a different offensive coordinator for like the first five seasons of his career. Every right. year was a different scheme. Understood. So I, I'm not, this is not an excuse list for Alex Smith, but context is important. And nobody's crowning Alex Smith as the greatest quarterback in the NFL. But I think Alex Smith is somewhat underrated. I don't think he gets enough credit because I think people immediately look at what he did in the early stage of his career and they're like, yeah, you know what? You expect better out of the number one overall pick, and you're right. But give the number one overall pick some flexibility. Give him the ability to learn over the course of a year or two as opposed to now all of a sudden year one ends and now he's got to learn a new offense. He's a middle-of-the-road quarterback, and I don't have a problem saying that, and there's nothing wrong or insulting about saying that. He's a middle-of-the-road guy. That's well, but all. he's certainly a top half of the league quarterback when I, he's healthy. I, 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 mean, don't, I, I don't think he's in the top 15. Uh, I, I would put Alex Smith in the top 15. That's I, I don't think that's a stretch. David Carr is another one who played for the Giants organization later on. But if you would have given David Carr a better start with an offensive line, not saying once again that he's going to the Pro Bowl or being a Hall of Famer, but I guarantee you David Carr's narrative in his career changes immensely, Paul, if you actually gave him some stability early mm-hmm. in his career. Mm-hmm. Once again, the environment is going to impact that. the QB. That's my main point. All right. Quarterback's not just on an island. Dre is in Atlanta. Dre, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? What's up, Lance? Hey, Peter. How's it going? Hi. Doing a little minute. Doing all right. What's on your mind? Hey. Uh, first, let me say, hey, I have actually no problem with the uh, Daniel Jones pick. Um, you know, I think most of the Giants fans has an issue with the pick because the media told them to. So, But the reason for, for my call is I kind of – if my plan may not be Gettleman's plan, but I can see a plan within what he's got going on. Everyone wants to talk about the dead cap money this year, but not looking at the abundance of cap money we have next year. So, if just say, if I was a GM – I will load my defense yield with youth. Uh, I have my offensive line with some veterans, some savvy fits, and sprinkle in it with some rookies for backup. And then, so as a transition goes, I, you know, I have my 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 new offensive line for four to five years, depending on which round I get them in in the draft. Same thing with defense. Then you have an abundance of cap to be able to keep your players and sign them to the second contract if they perform. I think what government's trying to do is create a legacy of a strong defense and a strong offense. Um, and instead of being cap struck because you spend all your money in, in free agency, your money is, is being revamped and recycled within the team. And that may, may not be his, his uh, plan, but that's a viable plan because now you have a franchise quarterback. You have youth on, um, on defense. You have a youthful cornerbacks. You have – Couple of vets on the um, on offensive line, so maybe next year we start focusing on uh, a tackle and a right tackle, okay, and uh, another guard. And then now you have youth on the line. You keep the money in house, 
Each year the cap goes up. You have now you have money to pay your players if they perform to another contract or bring a, a free agent in to complement the holes that we have. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that philosophy. I think people mistake in cap space for spending sprees. And Dave Gettleman even <laughs> indicated that, you know, you always want to have money ready. He brought up in a press conference, I don't remember which presser it was, Paul, maybe you do, but somebody was talking about a year from now you'll have more flexibility. And he goes, well, there was a guy named Cam Newton in Carolina who I needed to re-sign. That's why cap space makes sense. And if you look at his track record in Carolina, Dre, to your point, he didn't necessarily every offseason go out and bring in big-name free agents, he re-signed Luke Keekley. He re-signed Cam. He tried to have the flexibility to retain the players, which is the whole point of why you want to build your team through the draft, Paul. You build them through the draft so that you get a lot out of them in the rookie contract, and then you invest in them because they warrant the second deal. Mm -hmm. So I can absolutely see that being part of Gettleman's game plan as opposed to everybody that thinks, well, they're just waiting for a year from now and there's a lot of hot commodities out on the market and they're going to go throw money at the wall and see if it sticks. Understand one thing, okay? When the Giants made the playoffs by purchasing three high-ticket items on defense, um, that was a quick fix. They needed to do something quick. Uh, the, 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 uh, the general manager understood that he was under fire he was desperately trying to turn the thing around as soon as he possibly could. And he had the cap space to do it, so he went and he did it without giving much regard to what was going to happen down the line. So he got his quick fix, he got his playoff spot, and then the Giants wind up being pushed into to, to some really dark times because there is a price to pay for a quick fix. Dave Gettleman is not interested in a quick fix. He wants to get this team as competitive as soon as possible, but he wants it to be competitive for the long term. He wants to set this team up and this organization up to be proud of its record year in and year out so that they don't suffer a similar fate to what they suffered the last time they went through a quick fix. And that what happens is you kick the can down the road and the money winds up coming back to haunt you. So I don't foresee him adopting that type of philosophy, Dre. I don't either. And also, my last point, uh, you know, we, we always talk about the, the continuity we're having with a quarterback having the same offense coordinator year in, year, year out, kind of how we got spoiled with Eli and um, and uh, Ooh, Gilbride, Kevin Gilbride you're talking about? Kevin, yeah, Kevin Gilbride. Well, we, we have to also look at the continuity of teammates having the same players in the locker room growing as a family and being able to get that second contract or that third contract and keeping the same folks in the locker room of good character that understands Giants pride and I think if we continue to use grassroots and build a uh, build up uh, a team through the farm through the draft you know kind of how they they are criticizing Yankees of not doing and now that they have doing they have a foundation <laughs> to where even their Yankees beat oh. is winning games. Look at it. Dre, I mean, Dre, how old are you? How old are you? You're in your 40s? You're in your 50s? 30s? No, 40s. I'm 45. You're in your 40s. Okay. You you would have really loved the old system and plan B free agency when you could retain most of your roster and you could have continuity because the rules were in place to enhance the quality of football because you could keep guys together, you could train guys, you could coach up guys, and you could reap the rewards of your hard labor. But then when everything changed and the players' union went to the courts and they got Plan B thrown out with an antitrust ruling and they had to open things up with the CBA because they wanted to have the free agency stuff, well, that was the beginning of tearing down the fabric of the National Football League because it makes things incredibly difficult for teams to keep their core guys together. The salary cap and free agency does everything it can to erode exactly what it is that you want to do. Oh, it makes it challenging. I mean, that's what it does. Right. And, and appreciate the phone it's a call, Dre. Thanks Thank so much for weighing call. in. Thank you, you Dre. I think it makes it challenging. I personally think it's good for the league. I like the parity, so I wouldn't necessarily complain. And of course I don't you think, do, because you're a young guy. Well, it's not a well. I mean, it's not like I'm a baby. I just came out of the womb. When, when the, I mean, I've been around rules, long enough. When the rules changed the for the '94 like. season, everything, everything. Yeah. 
well, got tainted. Well, but also during the era that you're referring to, Paul, in fairness, there were about four or five teams that had a legitimate shot at winning a Super Bowl. And everybody else knew their chances were up. So the Bears, the Giants, the Niners. Every year, the Bears, the Giants, the Niners. Now, I well, can make a case for about half the league. What about in the 70s? Dallas, Miami, yeah. Pittsburgh. Okay. They, those are not the same teams in the uh, 80s. So you, you took three teams and you swapped them out with three different ones. Congratulations. Great philosophy. It was really a works. privilege. And an, uh, well, the Raiders, too? Come on. Okay. So it was four. A, it was four. A My pri- apologies. It was a privilege and an honor. To watch, to watch the steel, four teams have a to watch the shot steel to curtain and the Pittsburgh Steelers yeah, all great do teams. what they did, and I'm with you. All entertaining teams, all great teams, and they deserve their credit and their status in the history of the league. But what I love about today's NFL is quick fixes can happen, quick turnarounds can happen. That is true. That was never going to happen during this age that you're talking about. Okay, you, when did you see a four and twelve team? Go 12 and 4 but, the following but, year. But outside of what Belichick has been able to do, which again, the man is Houdini, outside of what he's been able to do, true greatness will never be achieved under this system. Meaning you're going to see a team like the Cowboys, which is probably the most recent example, where you win two or three Super Bowls in a row, you're talking about. That's I mean, what you're it's just to. not going to happen. But, but I'm looking at it more of making the playoffs. I guess that's how I'm looking at it. I know that's not the ultimate goal, but you see teams can at least make the playoffs consistently, Paul. They may not win the Super Bowl, but in this league where only six teams in each conference make it, that's impressive. You know what? Maybe you could look this up. Matt, sure. maybe you could look this up for me. Outside of the Patriots, who have had a ridiculous run of like 15 out of 17 years of making the playoffs, outside of them, which team is second on the list in terms of most playoff appearances in the 2000s. I'd love to I'd, I'd, I'd love to see that stat. Is, well, there a, is there a team that's made it more than 50% of the time? My guess would be Pittsburgh would be second on the list. My suspicion would be Pittsburgh or Green Bay. Yeah, Pittsburgh or Green Bay. Absolutely. That would be my bet. I would put and I don't even know how many bet. times those teams have made the playoffs since the 2000 season. We'd have to actually... Counted up like matchsticks. Well, I'm not going to do that right no, now. Let's but, just let's just go no, on we, to the calls. We will move along, we're wasting but, time with these people. Well, I mean, relax. Wait, no, relax. no. Oh, it's, I mean, we, we were reminiscing about the days you love, and now all of a sudden you want to change well, the conversation. No, because <laughs> I never saw you take such a quick turn. Because there's no Goodness there's gracious. no sense in, in in trying to convince convince a whippersnapper well, that, well, that the, the olden days but were hold better. On a minute. Wait there's a just minute. no there's no we way to convince you, Paul. There's nothing wrong with having a conversation, and at the end of the day, go ahead. Disagree. I I don't think there's anything. No, no, I can. Agree to disagree. That's perfectly fine. That's all. But I think it's good to look and reflect back. All right, on the differences. I will. We'll we'll work it in throughout the course of the program. Let's go back to the lines. In the meantime, we got Taylor in Albany. Taylor, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Yeah, how you doing? We're doing all right, Taylor. What's on your mind? I got. uh, I just have a couple points to get to. I feel that Dave Gettleman kind of gets a raw deal from the media and the fans. Because, I mean, he turned around Carolina. They were in, in salary cap. They were in a very tough position, salary and, cap wise. Uh, right. He's done a, a great job of doing that. And as soon as he comes to New York, he doesn't get any slack on that. Everybody wanted him to draft a QB to replace Eli. And he finally does that. And and he, he just can't win. He, he um, Just because it's the wrong quarterback. The next thing I wanted to get to was the other quarterback. Obviously, everybody wanted him to draft Haskins. Do you guys feel that his off-the-field issues were more of a, a play on why they passed on Haskins or his lack of experience? I always point to lack of experience being a big reason why I think most teams passed on quarterbacks. And I brought this statistic up multiple times. I don't know if you heard it, Taylor, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But prior to this year, Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins were both one-year starters drafted in the first round. From 2000 to 2018, just two one-year starters were drafted in the first round. Mark Sanchez and Mitchell Trubisky. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Giants' track record, in fairness, most of the guys they've brought in, whether it be through the supplemental draft, through the draft, are multiple-year starters. And part of it is because Bill Parcells had that philosophy, and he coached for this organization. Phil Simms, Dave Brown, multiple-year starter. You know, Kerry Collins was a veteran by the time he came here. Kurt Warner was a veteran. Eli Manning, multiple-year starter. 
Danny Cannell, the laundry list of players, whether they panned out or not is not my point. The point is they at least were able to say, hey, we could see two to three years of what they did in college as opposed to banking on one year transferring over and being successful. So I think that was certainly a factor that they were heavily considering because experience has been something that every team has turned to. It has to be. Right. And uh, have you guys heard of anything that – um, I know everybody says Haskins is a great character guy and and he didn't have any off-the-field issues. But when I watched him on draft night, it seemed like when the Giants passed on him, he was kind of uh, pouting a little bit. And you saw his reaction after he was drafted. He said the whole league messed up. Um, and he also, I don't know if this is back to you, he charged all his friends and family a cover fee to watch him get drafted when he's about to become a multimillionaire. I just don't see that. Maybe that was an issue for the Giants um, on why they would have passed on it. I don't know anything about the cover charge, okay? I do know that shortly after he was picked, him and his father formed an entertainment company uh, to promote and market uh, different aspects uh, of the entertainment and sports world. Uh, look, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, personally speaking, the only time I ever met Dwayne Haskins was at the Combine. Okay, I had an opportunity to sit in on his 15-minute media session. Uh, seemed like a decent enough guy, but he certainly did not blow me away at the podium with, with his poise and personality. Uh, there, there were certainly other quarterbacks in the room, and I mentioned Daniel Jones. I mentioned uh, Jared Stinham. As, as two quarterbacks who were my two favorite quarterbacks. See, you got to understand something here. Just because, let's say, Lance wants an apple and I want an orange, it doesn't mean the apple is rotten or the orange is rotten. It's his preference. And that's the thing here. You know, it, it isn't always about picking the best player. It's about picking the best fit for your situation. And, you know, quite frank, quite frankly... Quite frankly, there are a lot of other things, you know, that come into play that make a guy a good fit for your team. I said on yesterday's show, Eli Manning was the perfect fit for the Giants. Big Ben was the perfect fit for Pittsburgh. Phillip Rivers was the perfect fit for San Diego. Those three quarterbacks landed exactly where they had to land to put forth historic careers. Had those guys been flopped in other cities, I'm not so sure that it would have worked out well. And appreciate the phone call, Taylor. Thanks so much for weighing in. As far as Haskins being irritated that he fell in the draft, to me, that's not a red flag. Josh Rosen said the same thing. Every player is a little bit peeved. You know what? I'd want them to be peeved. If they're not, I think something's wrong. I want them to be motivated to quiet all the skeptics and shut up the teams ahead of them. So that, to me, is not something that I'd be worried about. I agree. And and as far as all the speculation about the decision-making of parents and this and that, yeah, I mean, that's why you vet these players. You always try to look into these things. But whether or not that was the main factor as to why a team stayed away from a quarterback, I mean, that, to me, is pure speculation. It can only be a crumb in the personnel folder. That's all. At the end of the day, you're looking at the skill set, you're looking at the experience or the lack thereof, and what Paul brought up, you're also projecting, okay, how can we envision this player in our locker room, in our environment? Do we think that person's going to flourish, or do we have some doubts? You know, those to me are some of the important factors that you bring to the table, not some of this juicy TMZ headline stuff, which at the end of the day doesn't carry a lot of substance. Let's head back to the lines. we got Dave in Cranford. Dave, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? It's good to talk to you guys. It's been a little while. I hope you're both doing great. Hi, um, doing well. Too. Good to hear from I you as well. Thank you, guys. Um, you know, I, I just think that to step back for a second, the, the, the pick of Daniel Jones, just to say that for again, it's yeah. I, I think sometimes you just got to realize how challenging it is for all these teams to you know find a transition, and you know we don't we don't have to go back to our we can look at our own history as Giant fans, you know, of how long if you want to really talk about um, Phil Sims, you know maybe to Eli Manning, um, and how long that took to, to identify that. It's a hard process. Well, don't and, forget Kerry Collins um, now. He did take the Giants to a Super Bowl. It would be unfair to skip uh, him. I, you know, Paul, you're right. That's what I was going to say in the middle there. I, I, I agree with that. But I look right now even at someone like the Cowboys and having to make a decision to sign Dak Prescott. And, and I think that, that you know, it, it, they're, they're kind of forced to do it. But I think Dak Prescott, unfortunately, is a, a, a good but never going to be a great quarterback. And I think he's going to, 
you know, win you a lot of games, you know, but I'm not sure he's going to take you to that promised land. And yet the Cowboys are in some senses forced to have to make a decision or, or going back to, you know, no one talks about, even though we spent the sixth pick um, on, on Daniel Jones, we didn't give up any other picks to move up to that spot. If you think about what the Bears did to get Trubisky, yeah, they had to move up. you know, they, they basically, they, they had almost no draft picks this year. Part of that was because of Trubisky. You know, you look at... You well, they also had the Khalil Mack trade, to too. Up. They had the Khalil Mack trade, too, Dave. So that, that's another big reason that impacted uh, their draft. You're right. You're right, Lance. But my point is, is that, it, you know, a lot of these teams, you know, you're, you're going in and there's a lot of quarterbacks that right now you still are kind of undecided about what their, you know, what their upside really is. They're still developing. I, I would say that even someone like Goff in a, in a great open scheme, you know, but I think he was exposed in the Super Bowl. I don't think there's any question about that. He sure and, and was. I, um you know, so it's just it's just not as easy as people want to make it out to be. No, it's not. But I also think that if you're content with what the quarterback's giving you and there's comfort and there has been signs of development, then I don't think it's a force of signing them. I think it's a wise decision because if the Cowboys don't sign Dak Prescott, what's plan B for them? You know, really I mean, to they be, have to they have to answer that. What's to, plan B? To be honest with you, a general manager faces the, a similar question twice. There's one question of, is he all in when he acquires the quarterback in the first place? Whether or not he's a free agent or he's a traded guy or he's a drafted guy. He's got to say, am I all in on this guy? Am I pounding my fist on the table? I've got to have him. And then he's got to do the same thing when the guy's contract is due. He's got to say, am I all in on this guy? Because if I'm going to sign him to that second contract, it is going to put me in cap hell if I'm wrong. So you got to be all, you're, you're right? right you got to right. be all in on the guy twice. Yeah, but I think you're, most you're, teams you're right. that most teams that sign their quarterback, I think have confidence that there's going to be a return on the investment. I, I don't think the Ravens just gave Joe Flacco the contract after he won the Super Bowl. Well, I think they believed, hey, this is also perhaps the beginning of what he could build we, upon. We, we've seen them have trepidation. We see the Raiders have trepidation with Carr. We see uh, Andy Dalton and trepidation with the Cincinnati Bengals as as teams. And now we're even here hearing that maybe Dallas is not 100% sure about Prescott. You, you have to be all in on the guy when you get him and then when you re-sign him. And, and if, if you're not, then you can't move forward with the guy. You just can't. Remember yeah, also, right. Dak, right, was, Dak was right. a fourth-round pick, keep in mind, too. You know, he wasn't a high guy who took advantage of his opportunity once Romo got hurt. So, you know, the philosophy's a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, that's a little different. You know, Cal the Cowboys, I'm not going to say they were all in on Prescott. They basically said, hey, yeah. he's a guy that maybe can Let's pan take a out. Shot. And now, that's all true. of a sudden, was that's surprising, true. and but, maybe but, the philosophy but if, changed. if you draft a guy high. Oh, you, when you, you draft a guy in. high, of course you got to be all Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. My, my last thing was just about one quick comment about Eli, and I'd love to hear you guys comment. And, and that is... You know, um, I, I really think that Eli, I think you're starting to see some people come around to this. I think he's going to have um, a really great year. It's going to mm -hmm. be very fascinating. I do think he'll be on a short leash and, and all those things. But Eli plays the best when the stakes are the highest. And, you know, the last couple of years, the best game he's played was the Green Bay Packer playoff loss. And, and the, the receivers didn't play well, but he played really well. And I don't think that that's – I think Eli in the, in the regular season – um, you know, at times makes decisions, which I'm not going to complain about, but at the end of the day, I think he throws the ball away or, 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 you know, doesn't necessarily stand in there for that last second. I think given this environment, really the first time he's being pushed by someone behind him where he knows that each game is going to be really critical, I think you're going to see Eli perform at a, at a higher level as well as Barkley taking a step up, the line being stronger, other things around him. I don't think it'll just be him. But mm -hmm. I do expect that he's going to have a really great year because every game now for him is going to be critical because he doesn't want to get into a situation where the team is, you know, I don't know, pick a, pick a record, five and five, four and six, where they say, hey, you know what, time to move on. Um, and, and I really think that's, you know, and, and, I, and I think as a fan, I can root for both. I'm happy with Daniel Jones. He's going to be our quarterback of the future. But I'd love to see Eli have a great year. And I think he can. All right. I, All right, Dave. Appreciate and I, and I agree with him 100%. And basically, Eli wants to be like any good, stable employee. He doesn't want to give the boss a reason to make a change. It's that simple. Well, 
that aside, Eli also is in the last year of his contract. So, I mean, he doesn't know what's going to happen after this season. I think that is enough motivation in itself to say, hey, I want to go out there. I want to put forth a good individual season, help the team win, because I don't know what's going to happen after Mm -hmm. 2019. So, you know, Daniel Jones' presence to me, I don't know, is necessarily the fuel to the fire. I look at it as he's got one year left on his contract. And also, Eli's dealt with this speculation for the last few seasons. There's been quarterbacks. They may have not been as high in terms of where they were drafted, but there's always been that constant media and fan call for let's see what the young guy could do let's see what the young guy could do I don't think this season is that different in terms of he's aware that that call for a change is going to be there if things don't necessarily go well let's head back to the lines Charlie is in Portland Maine Charlie what's happening hey gentlemen hey I got a couple things first thing is I just want to ask you guys if Daniel Jones number six pick and all the stuff we're hearing is the Giants love him, he's so smart, blah, blah, blah. If he isn't our backup quarterback in September, don't you think that's a bit of a fail on his part? Not one bit. No, not at all. Why? Why, Why? is it a fail? It's a fail because if you draft a guy number six, you expect him. Well, first Maybe of all, if, first if of all, just, you know, if Eli wasn't there, you would expect him to start. Well, first of if all, he Charlie, even be the backup. That's but just bad. just I, because you're the backup quarterback doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be in line to be the next guy up in the event that perhaps the team struggles or whatever it may be. I think you're speculating a lot. And the other thing, if you remember, Pat Shermer has said multiple times he likes a veteran serving as the backup quarterback because that individual could come into a game with not as many reps compared to a young, unproven quarterback. So no, it would not surprise me, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it would not surprise me if Daniel Jones wasn't the backup if they choose to keep three quarterbacks because of what Shermer has preached before needing a veteran sometimes on a short week since he doesn't get a lot of reps. Well, do you think it would be a fail if Haskins in Washington was not the backup quarterback? No, my, my answer would be the same thing. Charlie, you could give me all 31 other teams. I would say the same thing. First of all, you got Case Keenum in camp, and you got Colt McCoy. If Jay Gruden goes through camp and says, you know what? We feel good with Keenum as our starter, Colt McCoy as our backup, Haskins as our third. I don't think there's the end of the world situation there if that's how they start the season off. Both of those quarterbacks, no, I'm, I'm Haskins and Jones, were, J- Charlie, 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 both no. Haskins and Jones were drafted by their respective teams for the long yeah, term. For the long haul, not for Neither one of those guys were drafted for September. I'm, I'm sorry, but you're way out of left field on this one. All right, I don't think so. But anyway, let me uh, say one thing about the, our defensive back. Since we've got a whole new crew, we've got to have some names, okay? Now, I think uh, Tony the Lip would be one. <laughs> Nicknames, the that's Undertaker what we're going would be another. And, uh, and I could go on. But yeah, I think well, I thankfully, like you're not going to go on. Well, what's what's next? What's next on the agenda? You said you had multiple questions. Oh. Really, you're hitting it out of the park with the first two. So I can only imagine what the third's going to bring. All right, Charlie. No, I didn't have another one. I just wanted. We'll talk wanted to you to... again, Charlie. Have a great day. All right, Charlie. Okay, you keep drinking uh, Grandpa's old cough medicine. Thanks so much oh. for weighing in here. All right, let's head back to the lines as we move along. Boy, the insight just continues to increase as the show goes on. Mike is in Connecticut. Oh, Mike, God. welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, what's going on, Lance? What's going on, Pete? Hi, Hi Mike. Charlie. So I got to yeah. follow Charlie. Oh, you got yeah. huge shoes yeah. to fill, Mike. Um, the pressure's on. I wanted to say, uh, you know, just give a shout out to Pete for answering Twitter questions that I post periodically. One most recently with Colin Farrell, Farrell and Jonah Williams in the NCAA game. I thought that was a classic matchup. Uh, enjoyed the game just watching those two battle. Sure. Which is um, was really cool. So thanks, Pete. No, and, no and problem. Then, um, Another shout-out was uh, for Smelk's interview with Cutcliffe, who, if anybody hasn't listened to the interview and you're still on the ledge, give it a listen. It'll take you off the ledge. It'll get you pumped up for, for, the, um, for the season because he did a brilliant job with it. Um, and then there was a correction. Joe and Evan were talking about week seven, just as you explained. But it was actually or, um, seven weeks in the season, but it was actually week seven, whether or not he's going to be in by week seven. So I think in this case, oh, that, that would, over. so so the 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 over under was if Jones is going to be starting by week seven. So right. that's October. That's 20th. the over under. Well, again, I, I 
I don't know how you qualify uh, over under, but I'm telling you, there's no way that's going to happen unless Eli is injured. Well, what I was thinking was, if let's say it doesn't go as we had hoped, and the season goes amok by week 11, I think is a buy, right? Yes. Yeah, week 11 yeah, is a buy. So then you'd be looking probably, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, then I'd say week 12 is a good possibility that it would be, you know, 12. The rest of the season, you'd see. Uh, Jones in. Yeah, I, I have no idea how Nevada came up with the number that they came up with. I just think it's Nevada ridiculous. Is. I mean, who, but anyway, who, whatever. Who's thinking about week 12 right yeah, now? Whatever. They haven't even played My training. <laughs> is, uh, I just wanted to get your input. And if, if I gave you guys a multiple choice question and said whether it's Remmers or Wheeler or Big George, uh, what do you see moving forward with the offensive line? Uh, to me, that's the most important part of the defense, or of the offense. And if if we had to make a change. Who would you like to see there? My educated uh, guess is that... Take your call. All right, Mike. And yeah. listen to your response. Appreciate Thanks the phone call. You got it. Yeah, my educated guess is that Remmers will be the starting right tackle week one. That's my educated guess, just based on the the tea leaves that we have had put forth in front of us. Well, Remmers has familiarity with Shermer because of Minnesota. So, you know, there's that factor. But remember, the health thing is still a question mark. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up Jake Long, who was brought in at times when, you know, he was looking for a team and he actually wound up coincidentally in Minnesota with the Vikings, you know, the health issue was still a, an issue for him. So, you know, if they bring in a veteran, I would probably give the veteran the leg up to your point, Paul, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's automatically going to win the job by a landslide. I, I think they want somebody in to push Wheeler. I think they want a true competition. That's my personal Competition's interpretation. always good. But but I specifically, like, they don't want to get in a situation where it's Wheeler maybe against an unproven individual. They'd like Wheeler to test himself against a veteran and then let the best man win. Mm-hmm. That's how I could see things playing out mm-hmm. in training camp. But I still think no matter what veteran you bring in, the health is still going to be a wild card because there's a reason why Remmers is unsigned right now. He's still recovering. It's not necessarily a given that everything is going to be smooth well, sailing. he's unsigned because he refused to take a pay cut from the Vikings. They had told him they would keep him on the roster if he took a pay cut, and they were willing to gamble on his injury as long as they were paying him less well, money. Well, that's understandable because that's his pre-existing team. And, and he decided that he was not going to take the pay cut, asked for his release, and they gave it to him. But on top of that, he's still rehabbing injuries. Understood. So any team that hasn't had the history, Minnesota's – team of trainers has dealt with Remmers over the season. So if there's any team that I think has a good grasp on his situation, it's the Vikings. No doubt. And Much that's, more so and than that, anybody else. And that goes to the point, though. Why would they have asked him to stay for a pay cut if they really didn't think he was going to rehab correctly? If they thought that it was a lost cause and that his back was not going to be good enough to play, that's a fair point. they just would have gotten rid of him. No, I they think would that's not a very have fair offered point. him the opportunity to stay. So they must think there is some redeeming qualities still left in the player or they would have just said goodbye there's no reason to ask him to take a pay cut we were talking about playoff teams you had asked about who was close to the Patriots so we looked it up the Packers 13 and the Steelers 12 since 2000 since 2000 yeah so we, we had no both surprise teams. that both easy. those teams are in the mix and that's that's awesome that's really awesome yeah. for those two teams well, I think any franchise would take that, that many postseason record. trips of course in, in that few number of years. Yeah, I think making the playoffs is an accomplishment in itself in the NFL. Nobody's crowning a team for making the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. The goal is you win a Super Bowl, and that's how you stand out from the rest of the pack. But in a league where there's so much turnover, Paul, and on average about four new teams between the AFC and the NFC make the playoffs every year, you put up that number over the course of nearly two decades, I'd gladly accept those results. Mm-hmm. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Cliff in New Jersey. Cliff, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening? Hey, hey, uh, Lance. Hey, Paul. It's Chris. Hi, but, it's Chris. Um, okay, my apologies. Before. Hey, guys. So, you know, as you've heard uh, endlessly the past couple of weeks with, with Daniel, in respect to Daniel Jones, taking a beating with the media, what's interesting is, you know, the media fails to, you know, peel the onion back, as you guys say, you know, in terms of look at his drops. I mean, the guy runs for his life. He's taking one-step drops in a lot of cases. They rip on his arm. How many times is he even able to throw downfield, you know, and throw that long pass? I mean, there's a handful of passes downfield, which, you know, he's able to get it downfield, and he can't even take his his normal drops. You know, some of it's shotgun. But two of the things that I'm looking forward to when Jones gets his chance to play is how nice is it going to be when he's going to be able to run a play action. By that time, this this line's going to be solidified. We're almost there. And running the play action with 
with Barkley, getting those linebackers to commit up to the line, that's going to be great. That's something that Jones has never had at Duke. Um, also, in what I noticed watching some of the film on him, or, or the games on uh, YouTube, is uh, he throws a real nice screen pass. He, he shows patience. Mm-hmm. He lets his uh, lineman get out in position. So those are just two things that I'm looking forward to, something he's really never been able to do at Duke. He does have various speeds on the ball, really nice touch, uh, and, and a tight spiral and spins it well on the short throw, and then he can put a little bit of mustard on the long throw. Uh, throws a very easy ball to catch. I'll tell you that. If you watch him, it's, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One last thing. I know you're running against the clock. Um, I, I, I'm thinking of two two guys that I called the forgotten. Paul Perkins and Avery Moss. What, what's your thoughts on those two guys coming into training camp this year? All right, Chris. We'll let you go on that note and appreciate the phone call. They're both in show-me phase. Yeah. Paul Perkins on IR all last year. All last year. I, I think I'd, I'd like to see him in a battle for the number three running back spot. Uh, they're going to give him every chance to do so, but he's going to have to win it. Same thing with Avery Moss. Avery Moss been hurt for his first two years here on the practice squad. And it's, hey, year three, it is time. Avery Moss, listen, you've got a lot of tools, okay? You've got a lot of tools. For whatever reason, this is your time. They desperately need help with the pass rush. This is time for him. If he's got it to show, he's got to break it out now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think show me is a a very appropriate label for both of those players. You look at the situation for Paul Perkins. You got Saquon Barkley. You have Wayne Goleman. You have Robert Martin. There's an opportunity there. If you have a very productive offseason, Paul Perkins, I mean, I don't think anybody's locked into those roles behind Mm -hmm. Saquon Barkley. So opportunity is there. And Avery Moss, he's got plenty of competition because the Giants now have a variety of different pass rushers, different linebackers, linemen, and so forth. So, you know, he's got to prove that he can remain durable. That's the key thing. We've talked about so many players that have been drafted by the Giants over the years, and it's not as if they didn't have upside. It's just they could not get out of their own way with respect to the injury bug. And every time it looked like the opportunity was there, the setback occurred. So Moss has to prove he can get healthy and remain active through an entire offseason period and Perkins to the same degree. I, I think Perkins, if you were to ask me who has a better opportunity, Paul, I think Perkins has a better opportunity in my mind because of what the depth chart looks like right now. That's just me looking at the paper test. So I would give a leg up to Perkins. I think there's a golden opportunity, but he's got to show an awful lot in the preseason games and throughout camp. He's got to be consistent. Same thing for Avery Moss. Can't just flash here or there. You got to showcase it day in and day out. The good news for both guys, they're on the 90-man roster, which means they will be given a chance to compete. Now it's up to you guys, that is Perkins and Moss, to earn their spots. Indeed. That is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. We'll be up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern. Appreciate all the phone calls each and every day. And we want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Cora's Light. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.